0: This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino.
1: Thanks for joining us for this edition of Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Leanne Castellino. We focus on parenting strategies, proven tips, and food for thought from experts on this show for moms and dads of teens, youth, and young adults. Our guest today has spent much of his career focused on those age groups. His fourth book, called The Collapse of Parenting, How We Hurt Our Kids When We Treat Them Like Grown-Ups, was released in 2016. Backed by some 400 studies, the book was centered on the idea of a crisis among many parents, of both confidence and authority. Dr. Leonard Sachs presented the symptoms of this so-called collapse, citing a dramatic shift In the parent child dynamic, role confusion, and other factors rooted in parents losing control within their households. Dr. Sachs has been a family physician for more than 30 years. He's also a psychologist, author, and father. He joins us today from Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
1: So much to get to uh, here based on some of the key themes in that book and looking at them five years later. I'd like to start by asking you, what are some of your key observations since the book was released about the ch- parent-child dynamic and where we are today?
2: Well, I'd say it's gotten, a lot, it's gotten significantly worse. Uh, my concerns uh, when the book came out was that uh, parents are increasingly kind of clueless and helpless about the new challenges facing their, their children and their teenagers. And that is much more true today than it was five years ago. So in that sense, I think I can I can claim that the book was prophetic because it's gotten a lot worse.
1: So for those who may not have read the book yet, can you give us some of the broad strokes around exactly what led you to that conclusion of this erosion in the parent-child relationship?
2: All my... Uh, work with parents all my recommendations are based in evidence and we have a lot of good evidence about what's happened in canada and the united states over the last 30 years and what are the consequences and uh what the research is telling us is that when parents are authoritative meaning parents can be too hard parents can be too soft parents should be just right uh uh the right place between too hard and too soft. And what researchers in Canada and the United States have found is that over the last 30 years, parents have drifted largely in the direction of being too soft. Uh, There are exceptions. We read about them in the newspapers about harsh authoritarian parents using corporal punishment. Um, There's a great line in uh, C.S. Lewis where he says, humans have a tendency to warn each other to warn one another over the dangers to which they are least susceptible. So in a, in a puritanical era, uh, we warn one another about the, the, the dangers of being uh, uh, too permissive. And in a permissive era, we warn each other of the dangers of being too puritanical. Uh, we have drifted into an era where parents are reluctant to set clear boundaries to enforce reasonable rules and instead of growing of kids across Ontario, for sure, uh, just as in the United States are uh, holding up their bedrooms and looking at screens and the parents are like, well, you know, that's what kids do nowadays. And the result we now know we can say with confidence is kids who are anxious, depressed and disengaged.
1: So there are going to be parents who just listen to what you said and are thinking to themselves, that is definitely me. That is this household. How can I rein this back and turn back the clock? And is it too late to address this? Let's just talk about your last point there in terms of how do you start um, instilling rules when you maybe haven't done that before?
2: My recommendation based on my firsthand clinical experience is you can't beat around the bush. Uh, you need to sit down with your kids and say, Hey, we've been doing some things wrong, uh, from now on there will be no phone in the bedroom. Uh, at nine o'clock at night, the very latest, I will take the device. I will switch it off and I will put it in the charger, which from now on will stay in the parent's bedroom. Uh, you can have it back tomorrow morning. Uh, there, there will be no more screens in the bedroom. The laptop, the iPad, the device will be in a public space. Um. Uh, and no games until the homework is done and the chores are done now i will tell you that if if this has not been the policy in your household and you announce this uh, there will be an explosion and the older the child the louder and longer the explosion but if both parents stand their ground after six weeks not after one week but after six weeks you will have a child who is Uh, more self-controlled, and in most cases, a happier child as well.
1: How did we get here? What is causing this reluctance of parents wanting to be the decision maker in the family, be the authoritative figure in your estimation?
2: Yeah, that question was first addressed really uh, comprehensively. By a German sociologist named Norbert Elias, he was observing very much what we have seen here in North America, namely a transfer of authority from parents to children, and he coined a phrase "status which can be translated either "status insecurity" or "status uncertainty." He said that parents are unsure, they're insecure, they no longer know what authority they have. I mean, we all grew up well. You might not, you might be quite a bit younger than I, but you know, 50, 60 years ago, parents grew up in an era, even 40 years ago, parents grew up in an era where uh, a parent might say, because I'm your mother, that's why. And 40, as recently as 40 years ago, parents were actually comfortable saying that. Now I'm not endorsing that. Please don't get me wrong. That's, that's, that, that's too hard parenting. That's authoritarian. But uh, 40 years ago, quite a few North American parents were comfortable saying things like, because I'm your mother, that's why. It would be very rare today to find a parent who is really comfortable, an an educated parent who is comfortable saying, because I'm your mother, that's why. On the contrary, uh, she's going to negotiate and reason with her child, which is fine. And I talk about that in my book. It's fine to negotiate, excuse me, it's fine to explain but not to negotiate. If your four-year-old is about to run out into the street, you don't negotiate. You say, no, that's absolutely not allowed. And you explain why it's not allowed. It's not allowed because you might get killed. That's why, and we're not going to negotiate on that. Uh, But on many, many other, in many other domains, North American Anglophone parents now do negotiate. So there's a chapter of the book devoted to the question, why are North American kids now? fat. Uh, in 1971, only 4% of kids were obese. Uh, latest data, nearly 20% of kids are obese. Uh, nearly a quintupling um, over the last 50 years. Why did that happen? It happened for a, num- a number of reasons, but one reason it happened is that parents no longer tell their kids what for supper. They ask their kids what's for supper. And I'm speaking to parents in Chappaqua, New York. There's an affluent suburb of New York City and a husband and wife, uh, told me how they prepared a healthy and nutritious supper for the kids and, and their son and their daughter, son and daughter come home. And they said, Ooh, yeah, we don't want to eat that. Can we just order pizza? And so dad sat down at the laptop and dutifully ordered, uh, pizza online to be delivered to the home. One pizza for the daughter, one pizza for the son and, and hit send. And then, and the pizza was delivered to their home. And I said to the dad, what? why'd you do that? Why didn't you just tell them this is what's for supper? And he said, well, I don't believe in using starvation as a means of discipline. I said, they're not going to starve. Look, 40 years ago, if a mom prepared supper and the kids didn't like it, she did not run out and buy them a pizza. She would say, this is what's for supper. If you let 12-year-olds decide what's for supper, well, there are some 12-year-olds who will choose broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, spinach, asparagus, and kale but there are also many 12-year-olds who will choose uh, potato chips, uh, french fries, pizza, and ice cream. Uh, And that is one part of the answer. It's not the whole story, but it is one part of the answer as to why there are so many more fat kids today than there were 50 years ago. There are some domains where parents need to decide, explain, but don't negotiate. We're not going to have Pizza and French fries for supper tonight.
1: You are listening to Where Parents Talk on 1059 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Dr. Leonard Sachs, family doctor, psychologist, author, and father. Now, one of the things that you talk about in the book, The Collapse of Parenting, is the idea of the culture of disrespect. Tell us what you believe are the key contributing factors to this culture and behavior, which I would add has only been exacerbated in the five plus years since your book was published.
2: Yeah. What I mean by the culture of disrespect is that kids who speak English and growing up in Canada or the United States are immersed in a culture that teaches them that it's cute and funny to be disrespectful to uh, adults and to be disrespectful to one another. And you see this in the TV shows, the videos, the most popular YouTube videos, the shows on Disney, uh, like uh, Maddie and Dog with a Blog, teach kids again that's cute and funny to be disrespectful to parents. I had an eight-year, uh, 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 an eight-year-old. Mom called me about her eight-year-old, who is defiant and disrespectful, and who's just started being defiant and disrespectful. And Mom said, "You know, her father and his father and I never talk this way." Uh, where is this coming from? And I suggested to mom, after talking with her and listening with her, I said, turn off Disney, Disney Jr., Nickelodeon, Nick Jr. I'm not saying TV's bad. They can watch the Omen Garden channel. Uh, they can watch the Discovery channel, but not Disney and Nickelodeon. Those channels are major vectors of what I've come to call the culture disrespect. And three weeks later, she called me back and she said, it stopped that disrespectful tone that disrespectful language is gone he was learning it the disney channel the disney channel was teaching him to be disrespectful to his parents um, the most popular artist in canada and the united states drake d-r-a-k-e his latest album certified lover boy two months ago brought broke every record uh, nine out of 10 of the number of the top 10 hit songs in North America, two months ago were Drake. Uh, he, he ruled the charts in a way that, that, uh, only the Beatles ever came close, but he's actually broken every record the Beatles ever held and the Beatles never had nine of the top 10 songs. Drake did. And his songs are a very good example of the culture of disrespect, the way he speaks about women, the way he speaks to women, um, I'm, I'm just the smartest and that's just me being modest. My ball's bigger than you, yours and other things I cannot repeat on the air. He is portraying being foul mouthed vulgar and profane as cute and funny. And people are buying this. So my book is the first chapter is, is filled with evidence about the toxicity of North American Anglophone culture. But that's the first chapter. The, the rest of the book is concrete. Zero-cost strategies that you can and I think you must employ, such as no earbuds, no headsets in the car. When you're in the car with your kid, you need to know what they're listening to. And they should be listening to you, not to Drake or Bruno Mars or Cardi B. No earbuds, no headsets in the car. You need to know what your kid is listening to.
1: We will continue our conversation with Dr. Leonard Sachs, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Collapse of Parenting, when Where Parents Talk returns in a moment.
0: Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 105.9theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino.
1: Welcome back. We are in conversation with Dr. Leonard Sachs, family physician, psychologist, father of a teenage daughter, and author of several books, including The Collapse of Parenting, a New York Times bestseller. Dr. Sachs, let's talk about the adolescent age group for a moment as it relates to the culture of disrespect and trying to address that even if it has been previously overlooked by their parents.
2: The older a kid gets, the harder it is, and that's That's true of everything in pediatrics, that uh, any intervention is more effective uh, with the younger kids. The most discouraging email I get is from the parent who says, my son is unmotivated. He rolls out of bed late every morning, spends most of his free time uh, playing video games or looking at pornography. He's not working. He's not looking for work. He's 32 years old, living in our home. What should I do? I have nothing to offer that parent he's 32 years old he's an adult uh i don't guess i ha- i make a recommendation only if i have research clinical experience or both that show me that this intervention will be effective there is no intervention that is proven to be effective in that context the 32 year old boy man who isn't working and isn't working for isn't looking for work living in his parents' home, playing video games in the basement. I have nothing to offer that parent. But if your kid is 9, 12, or 15, then there's lots of things I can offer. And this book is written for you.
1: One of the things you talk about in The Collapse of Parenting is the dinner table and why it's incredibly important. Yes. Now, could you take us through what the key pieces of the dinner table interaction uh, should mean yes. to parents who Excellent. may not have prioritized this.
2: Yeah, so this is the work of Frank Elgar at McGill, who, with his colleagues, looked at more than twenty thousand Canadian teenagers, coast to coast, from the Atlantic provinces to BC and everywhere in between, including lots and lots and lots of kids in Ontario, and asked them in the last seven days how many evening meals. Have you had at home with at least one parent? Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. And then for each of these 20,000 teenagers, is team quantified to what extent? Is this kid anxious or depressed, uh, acting out? uh, What's their life satisfaction? Are they happy? And they found a huge effect, not just comparing zero to seven, but almost every step along that way, uh, every step along the way, I'm, I'm seeing in my head now the slide that I showed a parent during this presentation where we look at five evening meals at home with a parent compared with six evening meals at home with a parent. Going from five to six, you see a significant decrease in anxiety and depression, a significant increase in pro-social behavior and positive, positive self-concept. So the take-home message from this research, which is very compelling, is you have to fight for every meal at home with parent uh, and, and, you know, parents across North America, I find are confused and they're literally driving their kids from school to hockey practice, to computer coding class. And they're literally eating the evening meal is a sandwich um, in the car on the way from hockey to computer coding class. And the unintended message is the time at home with family is the lowest priority. Don't send that message. They're, they're sending the message that being amazing and cramming your day full of lots of activities is the highest priority. Do not send that message. It's a really toxic message. Cancel computer coding class. Spend time at home. And that time around the table, there should be no screens at the table, no phones at the table, no TV on in the background at the table. When you're at home having a meal with your kid the focus is on family and on hearing what your kid has to say and sharing stories and and creating that bond. And again, Frank Elgar's work and many other studies like it, and you'll find lots of that research in my book, tells us this has to be the priority. You know, the the pandemic had some really unexpected effects that tie right into this question of supper time. So, you know, when the pandemic first came, back March 2020 there were all these stories about how kids were you know being depressed and being suicidal cuz they couldn't be with their friends anymore finally got the first good studies more recently and throughout the book i'm always citing Jean Twenge a very important researcher and she and her colleagues did a really important study a few months back really during the height of the pandemic and they interviewed Uh, teenagers to see, are they doing better or are they doing worse? They use the exact same questionnaire that they'd used back in 2018 so that they could compare how kids are doing during the pandemic compared with 2018. And they found the term they use repeatedly is bimodal. Some kids are doing worse, but some kids are doing better. Some kids are doing better during the pandemic, during the worst months of the pandemic than were doing before and she can she found one question she can ask a teenager one question and tell you with just about 100 accuracy whether that kid is doing better or worse and that one question is as a result of the pandemic have you become closer with your parents if the answer is yes that kid is thriving. that kid is doing better now than they were doing in 2018. But if that kid says, no, they have not become close to their parents, odds are very good that kid is doing worse now. You know, in my country, in the United States, back in March 2020, the New York Times said, hey, it's the pandemic, Every, everything's locked down. You have to forget all the limits on screens and just let kids spend as much time as they want to on their screens and their social media because that's the only way they can interact with other kids. That was really terrible advice. And parents who followed the advice of the New York Times their kids are doing much worse. Kids need their parents. Teenagers need their parents. And if the parents have to, so, you know, driving from, from school to hockey to computer coding class, that all ended when the pandemic came along. All those activities got canceled. And so these kids who are now close to their parents, they are thriving because they're having more family meals at home with parents, spending more quality time at home with parents. They're doing better now than they were doing before the pandemic. So, and that I think that's such an important message for parents that we, I hope, will hang on to if the pandemic ever ends. Uh, and that is, don't let kids get overscheduled. Prioritize the family. Make the family meal at home a top priority.
1: Dr. Sachs, another theme of the collapse of parenting is your view of the current state of the child peer dynamic, which of course goes hand in hand with what you said earlier about the parent-child dynamic. Could you take us through what the child peer dynamic looks like in particular in the teen and young adult age group?
2: I begin with uh, research that uh, a team at Johns Hopkins did here in the United States back in the 1960s. They went across the United States and they interviewed uh, high school kids and they it, it structured interview. And one of the questions they always asked was if all of your friends wanted you to join a particular club, but one of your parents did not approve, would you still join? And 50 years ago, most, the majority of high school uh, teens, high school kids, in the United States told the researchers they would not join. Because the opinion of their parents mattered more to them than the combined opinion of all their peers. Over the last 10 years, I have visited a great many schools across Ontario, across Canada and across the United States. And I've posed an updated version of Dr. Coleman's question to Canadian and American teenagers. I've asked them, if all your friends wanted you to sign up for a particular social media site, would you consult your parents first? And the most common answer I get from Canadian and American kids is not yes or no, it's laughter. They burst out laughing. Uh, I think it was two years ago uh, a, um, a girl said to me, um, "My parents would probably think TikTok is some kind of alarm clock, you know? Why would I ask them?" Now these kids may say they love their parents, but they care more about what their same age peers think. The bonds across generations have weakened. Or broken. Uh, And Canadian kids, like American kids, now care more about what their same-age peers think. And that's really, really harmful. The parent-child relationship has to matter more than the relationship between peers. And in most cultures of which we have any record, that has been the case. uh, but in North American Anglophone culture, it no longer is. And I know this is true in Canada because I had the privilege of talking with Dr. Gordon Neufeld. I, of course, I've spoken with uh, Canadian kids about this, but Gordon Neufeld has, has spent 40 years as a child and adolescent psychiatrist in Canada, and he wrote the book, Hold, Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers, the subtitle sums it up. Uh, Why parents need to matter more than peers. And he describes from his own research with Canadian teenagers that when kids' friends matter, when kids care more what their same age friends think than they do what their parents think, that is a guarantee for anxiety and depression because peer relations are contingent and ephemeral. That's the phrase he uses, meaning that your friends could change tomorrow. You may be the most popular kids today, that could end in one day you could go from the being the most popular girl to being the odd girl out it happens all the time and every girl knows it so if the regard of your peers is the most important construct in your social universe you are fragile and you are terrified you're going to be looking at your phone every second make sure you're not you haven't let anyone's text go unanswered you are fragile but if your most important priority is the relationship we have with your parents, then you can relax. Because if your parents are good parents, they've made it very clear, they will always be on your side.
1: What do some of the pain points that society is experiencing in terms of you know, screen time and setting limits, what do those look like in your home?
2: My wife and I make it a real priority to do fun things with our daughter. Parenting can't be primarily about setting limits and saying no. The parent-child relationship has to be built on having a lot of fun together. It has to be.
1: Finally, Dr. Sachs, when we started this interview, you talked about how you believe that many of the themes that you cover in The Collapse of Parenting, which was published in 2016, are actually in a worse place today, more than five years later where do we go from here and what gives you hope?
2: (laughs) Well, to be blunt, nothing gives me hope for North American Anglophone culture. I'm very discouraged. But you know what? You and I can't change the culture. We can't change the fact that Drake is the most popular artist in North America right now. We can't do anything about that, but we can do a lot about our own home. We have great authority as parents in our own home, if we choose to exercise it, my daughter doesn't listen to Drake or Cardi B or Bruno Mars. Your daughter doesn't have to either. You can limit, govern and guide what your kids are doing in your home, in their own life. And you have to, we can protect our homes. We can strengthen our homes. We can build a culture of respect within the home and we can build it on fun and joy. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be difficult actually. It just has to be a priority. That's what the book is about.
1: Dr. Leonard Sachs, family physician, psychologist, author, and father, thank you so much for your time and your insight today.
2: Thanks again for inviting me.
1: And that concludes this edition of Where Parents Talk. Remember, you can learn more about our guests, giveaways, and hear from other parenting experts at whereparentstalk.com. I'm Leanne Castellino. Bye for now.
0: Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.